Let me encourage you, there we go, let me encourage you this morning to, to find your sermon notes and you can follow along. That way you'll know when I'm supposed to be done and we'll get on with that. No, more importantly, so that you can talk about this. So talk about this with your family sometime uh, today, later on. Uh, I dare you to talk about it at work tomorrow <laughs> or not. So see how that goes, but more, most importantly that we go and live uh, what we hear. So let me begin with this. How many of you like unexpected visitors at home? Anybody like unexpected visitors? Some of you do. I mean, we used to do that a lot more, right? If somebody dropped by, you know, a neighbor, and that was great. Uh, years ago, uh, we had in St. Louis when I was living there, we had parties uh, in the street all the time, uh, in front of the house. I mean, people would actually visit. They'd sit up their lawn chairs on, especially on a, a nice warm summer evening. Now everybody has all their parties in the backyard to keep all the rest of you people out, right? We do that. So maybe our kids, I've got, you know, three adult children. They aren't real good about telling us when they're going to show up. But so I'm glad when they do, that's always a good thing. But probably for the most part, we don't really enjoy that much anymore. So a few years ago, there was an unexpected ring of the doorbell at our house. Sharon and I had had dinner and we were... We were settling down for the evening, I don't know, watching Netflix or doing some mindless thing. And, and we were settling down for the evening when the doorbell rings. And I go and open the door. And of course, you always wonder, I wonder who that could be, right? I wonder who that could be. So I look, and it was one of our board members. And I go, uh-oh. <laughs> Trying to think, what did I do? Am I in trouble? You know, they didn't text. They didn't call. They just showed up. Well, as it turns out, uh, we were supposed to have a party, not that night, but the next night. So they had the days wrong, but we let them in because they had a bottle of wine. It was all okay, right? We had a good evening. So it kind of got me thinking for our gospel today. What did Jesus think when Nicodemus just shows up? I mean, he shows up at night. He's a Pharisee, which are pretty antagonistic toward Jesus. After all, they kind of want him dead. That's usually not your best friend. I wonder if he thought, uh-oh. <laughs> he knew he was in trouble with the Pharisees, but I imagine he was a little bit more accommodating than, well, at least I would have been. So we asked the question, why does Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? He could come during the day. Jesus is quite visible. He's at the temple frequently. Probably because Nicodemus doesn't want to be seen with Jesus. After all, the rest of the Pharisees, most of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, they wanted Jesus dead. Now, Nicodemus wasn't yet a follower. He didn't yet believe, but he was intrigued. He had seen the miracles, heard about the exorcism knew that this Jesus fellow was something special, something different. In fact, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are from God. How well, we just have seen the miracles. If you weren't from God, you couldn't do these great wonders. But what are these signs? And who is from God? I mean, Moses is from God, isn't he? Agree with me? Moses is from God, the greatest of the prophets. How about King David? Is he from God? Say yes, sure, of course. 
the, the great king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. So we have that. He's from God. Now we know, of course, having read John chapter 1, which isn't written yet for Nicodemus, that this is the word. Jesus is the word, the power of God in the flesh. Just as God had said in the beginning, let there be light, in the beginning of the world was formed. That same power was in Jesus, but now in the flesh, in the form of a human being. Well, Nicodemus doesn't know that yet. He hasn't yet come to faith, and yet he wants to know more. So, Let's take a look further then at this particular sentence. Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now in the Greek, this word again can also mean from above. So Nicodemus, he's probably like your six or seven year old. Now, at least this is the way my six and seven-year-old boys were. Now, they were a little behind the times. We didn't share everything with them. But when, um, well, they were probably, see, Phil was three when John was born, and Phil didn't really understand. But later on, trying to explain to, to Andrew, you know, how his little brother came into the world. Have you had this talk, by the way? Yeah. Uh, it's a little awkward, right? It's a little awkward. So you try to explain it to them. And usually it's a good when you have an object lesson, like your wife is pregnant. That's a good object lesson. So this is going to be a little, little brother, little sister, a little something, you know, your, your sibling. And then you describe how the kid is going to be born. And usually the six or seven-year-old says, Ew, right? you got to be kidding me. Well, that's kind of how Nicodemus is. He says, how can you be born again? I'm an old man. Can I re-enter my mother's womb? That's ridiculous. So he doesn't really understand, does he? You see, Jesus is saying this is not a question of biology. <laughs> this is a spiritual thing. This is from God. It's from above. He goes on to say, you only understand earthly things, temporary things. Nicodemus, you're supposed to be a teacher of the people. You're a rabbi. You're a ruler. And you don't get it because you don't yet see with the eyes of God. I would say the reason, if we want to put it into a category, that Nicodemus doesn't understand is because he suffers from a failure of imagination. He only sees Jesus as a teacher. And it's kind of like a lot of people today. Now, I follow Barna, George Barna. He does a lot of surveys for the church. And just recently, he did a survey. And in that survey, he discovered that still in America today, 9 out of 10 people believe that Jesus was real, an historical person, a real person who lived 2,000 years ago and died but only about 56%, so just barely half, of Americans believe that Jesus is God. Nicodemus had Jesus right in front of him. He had seen the miracles, and yet he still couldn't make the leap that this is God who's going to die for our sins. 
So many people today are lost because they don't have those eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is. And it's not just skeptics or unchurched, people who have not yet come to faith. A lot of Christians put God in a box that's way too small. Here's a book. I would highly recommend it. It's by a person named J.B. Phillips. He wrote this 70 years ago. I've read it several times. It's called, Your God is Too Small. Now, the heading says, it's a guide for believers and skeptics alike. So many people have this view of God. I'm just going to go through the, the first part. Just read the, the titles here. Just a couple of them. Resident policemen. Resident policemen. The God who wants to catch you doing something wrong so he can arrest you. So he can send down the lightning from above and make you a little grease spot. That's how a lot of people think of God. The parental hangover. We'd call them helicopter parents today, wouldn't we? Make sure that you're not getting into trouble. The grand old man, the guy up there in the heavens who just kind of turns the clock and watches it ticks, puts everything in motion and then really doesn't care too much about what happens to you after that. And there's a whole list of them where people have put believers as well as unbelievers who have put God in a tiny little box. And their God is way too small. Well, today I want to talk to you for the remaining part of our time together about a God who touches hearts and transforms lives. Now, ironically, I don't know how this happens, but this is also the mission statement of Emmanuel. Huh. I wonder who thought of that. Hmm. Our God, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, touches hearts and then changes people transforms them into something completely different from whom they were before. He does it in baptism, even from the time that a person is a little tiny baby, or maybe as a child, or even as an adult, even on their deathbed, God can take someone and change their life completely. It's as if we were dead, because we are spiritually until God gets a hold, of, a hold of us, and then he resurrects us spiritually. It's exactly what happens when we have people up here at this baptismal font. It's not the water, but it is the power of the word, that same word that said, let there be light. That same power that would rise Jesus from the dead has done the same for our hearts and our spirits. I mean, think about the God that we have came down from heaven, became flesh, a human being. He was born as a little child. He grew up, and then he died on the cross, taking all the sins of the world upon himself, and then he was raised from the grave so that you and I could have a relationship with God forever. He did miracles along the way. He raised people from the dead. He cast out evil spirits. He did all kinds of healing, not just physically but emotionally and spiritually as well. If you don't believe that, 
Let me tell you a little story today. There was a man, now, then, was a boy. His name was Christopher Carrier. On December the 20th, 1974, he's 10 years old. It is Christmas break, just beginning in Florida. Chris Carrier, in the days, 1974, was walking home from school. His parents had told him repeatedly, if someone tries to pick you up, you say no. Same thing we tell our children, right? Stranger danger. Ten years old, and yet he sees this man. He knows that he's not supposed to ride with him. He is coming by in a van, and he kind of recognizes him. And the man tricks him into getting into the van. He says, I work for your father, which is actually true. He was taking care of Chris's uncle. So he'd seen him around before, and he said, Dad, Dad was going to pick you up from school, but he, he wasn't able to. I'm going this way. Get in the van, and I'll take you home. But he doesn't take him home. He takes him out into the Everglades, and he stabs him repeatedly with an ice pick. And then he takes a cigarette, and he burns his body with the lit cigarette repeatedly. And then he dumps him off there in the Everglades, and he takes out his pistol, and he shoots him in the back of the head. And he leaves him for dead, for the alligators to eat. Chris Carrier lies there in the mud for six days. And yet, miraculously, he survived. His left eye no longer works because he was shot in the left temple. And the bullet went all the way through and exited in the right temple. For years, he was filled with anxiety and fear, thinking that this man would return and finish the job. He can't sleep at night. It's difficult for him to learn at school. He has a hard time making any friends because of this anxiety. Even though the police are still protecting him, even though the police are still looking for this man, Chris Carrier's life has been changed, seemingly irreparably. Until one day he comes to a church. He'd been a member of a church a Christian church. But now this one evening, another Friday, the youth group is gathering together. And for the first time, his eyes are open by the Spirit. And he understands just who this Jesus person is. And he understands the sacrifice that was made for him. And he now knows the love that God has for all of his people. And his life begins to change. And he gets baptized. And his growth and maturity continues up to the point where he becomes, in adulthood, not only a faithful member of his church, but he becomes a Christian speaker. And his story now, many years later, is all over the internet. Just Google Chris Carrier and you can read it for yourself. But the story goes on. Fast forward now. 1996, 22 years 
after the abduction. There's a man, he's in a nursing home. He is about to die, he is frail. He knows his days are about to end. And so he confesses to the abduction and the shooting and the near murder of Chris Carrier. This man is David McAllister. He worked for Chris's dad. He cared for the uncle of Chris Carrier. But one day he got drunk on the job and Chris's dad fired him. And so out of revenge, this is what happened. He abducted Chris and did these horrible things to him. Now in his deathbed, the police asked Chris if he would come to the nursing home and identify the man. And so he does. But he tells David McAllister, I hold no grudge against you. And I forgive you. You see, what you intended was for evil, but God has used it for good. And in fact, by that time, hundreds of thousands of people knew Chris's story. They just didn't know how it would end. And Chris says, David, I want to be your friend. Because I know you don't have any other friends. And I'll visit you every single day. And he did. Great story, don't you think? David apologized. First, he wouldn't even admit what he had done, but he knew that he was about to die. And so he apologizes for what he has done. But the story's not over. Because God has even greater things in mind. Chris then invites his mom and his dad to come visit David and the rest of his family, and they come visit David, and they become friends. And then one day, Chris says to him, David, would you like to know Jesus? And he said, yes. And they read the Bible together, and they prayed together. And then finally, David McAllister, just a few days before he died, had his eyes opened by the Holy Spirit and he could see the love of Jesus Christ through this man that he had once tried to kill. I can imagine Nicodemus so many years earlier, after this encounter with Jesus, he, he walks home, he trudges home in the middle of the night just scratching his head, wondering, who is this man who says that I'm supposed to re-enter my mother's womb? What does it mean? Somewhere between that encounter and when Jesus died on the cross, the Holy Spirit opened Nicodemus' eye. Because there were only two men who were there when Jesus had died, when everyone had left, who loved him enough that they would take down his body and give it a proper burial. One was Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man in whose tomb Jesus is buried. But the other was a Pharisee whose eyes had been opened, whose heart had been touched, whose life was now transformed, that he was a follower, a disciple of Christ. And so, my friends, if God can use a Pharisee 
like Nicodemus, someone who knew about God but didn't know God. And if God could use someone like David McAllister who had done horrible things, the police found out later that he had committed lots of other crimes as well. Or someone like Chris Carrier, who the world would say your life has been ruined. If God could use any of those people, couldn't he use you and me to transform someone's life as well? I can imagine as Nicodemus was, was walking home after he had laid Jesus' body in the tomb, that he wondered what greater things the Lord might do. And maybe he remembered those words of Jesus that he had said so many months before, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but rather to save the world through him. That's the God that we have. Don't put him in a tiny little box. But imagine this week and imagine this, this month and imagine this year and imagine for the rest of your life the things that God may do in our world, in our community, in your family. After all, if God would sacrifice his only son, what might he do for you? What might he do through you to change someone else? Amen? Amen. Let's all rise. We'll continue. Okay. So uh, back there at the desk, if you could find um, where it says confess. So let me encourage you this morning to find your sermon notes. They're in the middle of your bulletin. You can... Follow along as we go, that way you'll know when I'm done, so that's always good. Probably more important to talk about it, this, not during the sermon, later, if you would. Talk about it, uh, maybe um, lunch, uh, dinner, talk about it with your family, uh, talk about it with your friends, and, and then, most importantly, to, to live the message that you hear. So let me begin with a question. <clears throat> How many of you like unexpected visitors? Unexpected visitors... At home, anybody like unexpected visitors? You know, we used to do this a lot uh, when we were living in St. Louis, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, we had people drop by all the time. And in fact, our street, uh, kids would, would play uh, hockey out there, weren't many cars driving around, and parents would drop by, and often a, a barbecue would just break out, and it was kind of a, a great thing to do. Now, everybody has barbecues in their backyard, because we don't want none of you people coming, right? So that's, we keep them all out that way. So unexpected visitors, not quite so much. But I remember a number of years ago, we had an unexpected visitor. It was after dinner. Sharon and I had finished dinner, and we were settling down, and I don't know, watching random Netflix or reading a book or something, and the doorbell rings. So, of course, I go to the doorbell, and the obvious question is, I wonder who it is, right? I wonder who it is. So I looked through, and it was one of our board members. And now my thought is, uh-oh. 
Oh, what did I do that I don't remember that I'm in trouble for because no one called, they didn't text, there they are. Well, as it turned out, we were having a party for the board and some, for some of our staff, just not that night. It was the next night, they had the date wrong. But because they had a bottle of wine, we let them in. All right, it was okay. So we had a good evening. I wonder, as I think about our gospel for today, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Did he feel the same way I did? Like, uh-oh, <laughs> I wonder what I did. Well, he knows what he's done. He knows the Pharisees are not very happy with him. In fact, he knows that most of the Pharisees, most of the leaders, uh, well, they wanted to kill him. So Nicodemus could be someone just like that. So as we take a look at our notes here this morning, the obvious question, why does Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? Jesus is everywhere. He's in the temple. He's in, in the town square. He's teaching people. He's doing miracles. Nicodemus could have found him anywhere. Well, maybe just because he is a Pharisee. He doesn't want the rest of the group to know that, well, he may not be a believer yet, but he at least has some questions. He's curious. He's seen the signs. He's seen the miracles. He's seen the exorcisms. And he's wondering about this person, this rabbi. He even tells Jesus, obviously, you're from God, or you couldn't do all this stuff. But he doesn't yet believe. He wants to know more, but he's not there yet. And then Jesus says this, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. I think Dana did a great job with the kids this morning. Jesus is in plain sight. He's done all these things, and yet Nicodemus cannot see him for who he truly is. He sees him only as a great teacher, as a person from God who can, who can do wonders and miracles and signs. But he hasn't yet put together that he is the Messiah, that he's the Savior. So Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now, Nicodemus is, is a rabbi, he's a teacher, he's a learned man. And, and yet he says, how's that possible? It's kind of like, you know, you're six or seven year old. So parents think of this when your kids were, were, were younger. And, and maybe you had children that far apart. And so they're going to have a little brother or sister. So it's always good to have an object lesson when you're teaching your children, right? So the good object lesson, the one that works very well is you're pregnant. And so you tell your children something like, your little brother or your little sister is growing inside of mommy's tummy. And so then you get to the hard part explaining the whole birth thing. Now, those of you who haven't yet had this talk, I'm sorry if I spoil this for you, but this is kind of what six or seven-year-olds usually say when you explain the details of how this brother or sister comes out of mommy into the world. It's usually something like this. Ew, are you kidding me? That's how it happens? I think that's what Nicodemus does. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's ridiculous. He says, I am an old man. I need to be born again. How is it possible to re-enter my mother's womb? It's not a biology question, is it? It's a spiritual question. It's a matter of understanding. It's a matter of getting those spiritual eyes to see who Jesus truly is. 
not just a teacher, not just a miracle worker, but truly the Son of God. So it begs the next question, which we see here in our notes. Nicodemus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's a ruler of the people. If anyone ought to know God when he sees him, it ought to be Nicodemus. And yet, he doesn't understand. Why? Why doesn't he get it? Well, I would say he suffers from something that I might call a failure of imagination. He couldn't see Jesus outside of the box. He'd already put him in. He didn't have it in him yet to see that God could love people so much that he would send his son in the flesh to redeem or buy back the entire world. And I would suggest that it isn't a whole lot different today. Barna, which we talk about a lot, he's a, an individual who does a lot of surveys about the church in America and in the world. He just did a survey recently, and he came up with this. He said that still today in America, that 9 out of 10 people believe that Jesus is an historical figure. In other words, that he really lived, that he was born 2,000 years ago, and that he might even have been a rabbi or a teacher that he might even have done miraculous things. But that's as far as it goes. Because he's in that little box. Their idea of God is wholly different. And so Barna says that only 56%, just barely half, of all Americans believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The one who came to die for all people. Now, the interesting part about this is that many people, even Christians, have put people in a or Jesus in a box. Here's a great book. I would highly recommend it. It's called Your God is Too Small, written 70 years ago by J.B. Phillips. Now, what I like, particularly even before you even begin, is the heading. It's a guide. Now, who would you think the guide is for? Well, it says for skeptics, but also for believers alike. It's not just skeptics, but it is believers. So often who put Jesus in a tiny little box and wonder what he can do. Because in the book, he goes through all kinds of things like, there are Christians today who believe that God is a moral policeman. Not the Son of God, but someone who sits up there and looks at you so that when you do something wrong, he can send down the lightning and make you into a little grease spot. Isn't that the view of a lot of people? God's up there, he's just judging everyone. Or he is like the helicopter parent who's always hovering over you to make sure that you're not doing anything out of line. And then there's a the great clockmaker. You know, he, God made everything, okay, but then he just kind of wound it up and let it go, and he really doesn't care what happens to anybody. What about your God? How large is he? Well, let me tell you a little bit about my God. My God touches hearts and transforms lives. That is the mission of this church to shine the light of Jesus Christ, to become a city on a hill so that everyone knows the God that we know, one who touches hearts and transforms lives. 
baptism. That's what Jesus is talking about when he explains to Nicodemus, this is how you're born again. You're not going to re-enter your mother's womb. You're going to be born from God. You're going to be born from above. And then you can receive those spiritual glasses to see things as they truly are, to know that I am God himself. Think about it. Think about how big your God is. Down from heaven. Be one of us. Think of how amazing this is that a spirit takes on flesh and blood, is born of a human being, and then grows up and does everything that we do, has the same everyday experiences. He eats and he drinks and he goes to work and he goes to school and he has relationships and he gets hurt by the people around him. In fact, all the way to the point of being crucified, murdered, even though he hasn't ever done anything wrong simply out of love for all of us. Because there is this problem that all of us has. Maybe you've noticed it, and that is that people die. Have you noticed that? And you too will one day die. Because of the sin that Adam and Eve one day brought into the world and all of us continue to suffer from, that God took on our sin. Everyone in this room and everyone in this community and everyone in this world and everyone that has ever lived. And he put it all to death on a cross where he received the most horrific punishment ever imagined. Where nails were pounded through his hands and through his feet. Where he was whipped to the point of death. Deprived of food and water and then a crown of thorns jammed on his head. And that's bad enough, just a physical torture. But imagine your sin and the worst thing that you have ever done and multiply it by about 8 billion times. That's how big our God is. That's how large his love is for all of us. And in our baptism, our eyes become open. The old self drowns and dies and a new person emerges. Now, if you don't believe that, I have another story for you. The story of Chris Carrier. December the 20th, 1974. Chris Carrier is 10 years old. It's Christmas break in Florida. His dad tells him that he's going to pick him up from school that day. But he doesn't show on time. And so Chris decides that he's just going to walk the short distance home. I mean, you could do that in 1974, right? His parents had told him, don't let anyone else ever pick you up unless you know them. And so Chris is walking home and he sees this van. It's a white van and it pulls up beside him. And he kind of recognizes the guy. He thinks it's someone that works for his dad. And the man says, hey, Chris, I'm headed your way. Why don't you just hop in and I'll take you home? And he did. 
And before the end of the afternoon, this man stabbed Chris Carrier repeatedly with an ice pick. And he dropped him off in the Everglades. And he took out his pistol and he shot him through the left temple. And then he left him there in the mud to die. Oh, just to be sure, he took a lit cigarette and he burned him all over his body. And there was no response. And now the alligators would eat him. But miraculously, Chris Carrier survived. He laid there for six days in the mud, unconscious. But he survived the ordeal physically. Oh, his left eye was put out and he could no longer see. But he recovered from the rest of the wounds. But he was tortured for three years with the fear and the anxiety, even though the police were constantly protecting him. And they were looking for the man who had done this. But Chris wondered, will he come back? And will he finish the job? Now, Chris was a member of a church. His parents were members of a church. And Chris went to church. But his eyes had not yet been opened to the love of Jesus Christ. Then one day, he went to a youth group meeting, a lock-in, we used to call these. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of Chris. And he opened his eyes to see the love of Jesus. A love that will chase away all the fear and the anxiety that Chris had. And he no longer had the nightmares and he no longer had the anxiety. And he no, he no longer had the learning problems that he had before. And Chris then grew up and he got a job and he got married and he had children. And then he became a Christian speaker. And today, you can go to the internet and you can just Google Chris Carrier and you will see that there are millions of people who have heard his story. His life was transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. But fast forward from 1974, 22 years, 1996. There's an old man in a nursing home. His name is David McAllister. The police had suspected him from the very beginning to be the one who had abducted Chris and who had stabbed and shot him and left him for dead. They couldn't prove it. There wasn't any evidence. And now he was dying. And so the police went one last time to try to garner a confession. And he said, yes, it was me. And then the police, the sheriff of the county, found Chris Carrier, and they wanted a positive identification. And he went to the nursing home. It was the man who had abducted him. You see, he was mad at Chris's dad because his dad had fired him, because he was drunk on the job. 
And out of revenge, David McAllister nearly murdered Chris. They talked for a bit. And Chris said, I forgive you. And I hold no grudge towards you. He said, what you intended for evil, God has intended for good. Because thousands, literally, of people have now heard about the love of Jesus Christ through my story. And in tears, David McAllister apologized for what he had done. Great story, huh? Well, there's more. Chris said, I'll be your friend. Because you have no other friend. He had no family. He had no one at all. And he said, I'll come and visit you every day. And he did. And then he began bringing his parents along. And the rest of his family, who became friends as well. And finally, one day, Chris Carrier asked David McAllister, would you like to know Jesus? And he said, yeah. And they read the Bible together. And he told him the whole story that you have heard again here this day. How God loved us so much that he sent his only son, the one and only Jesus, to die for him and for all people so that Whoever believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. And David McAllister's eyes were open, and he saw the love of Jesus Christ. Chris says, that day I saw a man's life change for good. Several days later, David McAllister died peacefully, knowing that he had a God who loved him and who forgave him all of his sins, no matter how terrible they had been. I can imagine Nicodemus, when he met Jesus and had this encounter, there in the middle of the night, trudging home, scratching his head, Wondering who in the world is this man, this teacher, this, this miracle worker. And yet he still could not see that he was God. And yet sometime between that day and when Jesus died on the cross, his eyes were open. Because it's Nicodemus along with Joseph of Arimathea who loved the Lord so much that they would go out into public risking that their own life could be taken so they could take the lifeless body of Jesus from the cross and bury it in Joseph's tomb. And I can imagine then as Nicodemus is, is on his way home that night that he could only imagine the great things that the Lord was about to do. And three days later, it was the Father who raised the Son from the grave to never die again. So, my friends, what is the Lord going to do in your life? 
Are you a Nicodemus? Someone who knows the Bible? Someone who knows about God? But doesn't know him really? Are you a Chris Carrier who's had terrible things done? And yet, through the love of Jesus Christ, you no longer harbor that bitterness, that fear, that anxiety. Because your life has been transformed. Or are you that David McAllister who believes they've done such terrible things that the Lord could never forgive them? Or anywhere in between? The good news for us is that God indeed loved the world so much that he gave that one and only son that whoever believes and whenever they believe, even on our deathbed, you don't truly die, but you will live forever. You will have that eternal life because of what Jesus has done. You see, for God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world. He is not that great moral policeman in the sky. He's not the one who just wants to strike you dead. But he loves you loves you so much that he would die in your place. I hope that this week you can imagine a God who no longer fits in the small box that you've created for him, that you begin to see miracles wherever you go, and not just physical, but emotional and spiritual and transformational. Because the fact is, in our own baptism, we were dead spiritually. And God raised us up. What a blessing every day as we remember our own baptism or our own awakening to know that we have a God who is always there. I know God's going to do great things in your life. And I can't wait to hear what they might be. Amen? Amen. Let's all rise.